We turn in God's inspired word this evening to John chapter 18. first part of John chapter 18 gives the narrative of Jesus' betrayal by Judas Iscariot. And he's brought to the high priest, and we take up the reading at verse 19 of John 18. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them, and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, 
that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. The text to which I call your attention this evening is the verses 33 through 37 of John 18. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture contains numerous events of the last day of Jesus' earthly sojourn. This is one of them. The day given us in Scripture revealed to us the events recorded of that day are so many. I dare say that if a minister were to preach from every text of that last day of Jesus' life, He would have a series probably more than a year long. There were on that last Friday of Jesus' earthly sojourn numerous court examinations and trials to which he was subjected. There were at least three appearances before the leaders of the Jews, before Jesus was led to Pilate, subjected to a public trial. First he was brought to Annas. And before the elderly Annas, Jesus had a preliminary hearing, which also gave time for the Sanhedrin to gather together for the trial. Annas asked Jesus about his doctrine. But Jesus only answered that he had always taught openly and that Annas ought to ask those who had heard him teach. From Annas, Jesus was led to the palace of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the Sanhedrin gathered for the sole purpose of condemning Jesus. In the middle of the night, this trial took place, even though by law the Sanhedrin could not even begin a case in the late afternoon. 
because a trial was never to be the work of darkness. It was indeed the hour of darkness. At this gathering, Jesus was asked, Art thou the Christ, the Messiah? And he said unto them, according to Luke 22, verses 67 and following, If I tell you, you will not believe. And then this, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. If they had dared, the Jews would have killed him on the spot. The Jews didn't really want this matter to become public. They would have liked to have been able to put away Jesus quietly, but their plans had been frustrated. And so we read of one more meeting that took place after dawn. You read in Matthew 27, verse 1, that when the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And to that end, they brought Jesus to Pontius Pilate. With that introduction, we give our attention this evening to Christ's confrontation with Caesar. Notice with me, first of all, their positions. Secondly, their kingdoms. And finally, their conflict. Christ's confrontation with Caesar. That is, Caesar's representative. We notice their positions, their kingdoms, and their conflict. This gospel text brings us before the great truth that confronted Pilate, namely that Jesus is the Christ, the one anointed by God as King of kings and Lord of lords. Pilate was compelled to stand before the Christ and examine himself and his own position, as well as Caesar's position, in relationship to that Christ. And it soon becomes apparent that Pilate was uncomfortable in the presence of Jesus. We're not told whether he heard of Jesus before this, or of Jesus' wonder works of healing and so on, or whether Pilate was just somehow affected by the presence of Jesus who stood before him with such calm and yet with such authority. But Pilate was uncomfortable around Jesus, if not afraid of him. But what really put Pilate into a predicament concerning Jesus was Pilate's own fear of losing his position as governor. Pilate was not a very sure individual when it came to his own position, and that probably was for good reason. He well knew the uncertainty of serving a position in the Roman government. Caesar had a reputation of being rather fickle when it came to governors. Governors could be quickly removed. And beside that, among the people for whom Pilate was answerable to the Roman emperor, were these Jews who had a reputation of being a miserable people to deal with. Pilate was fearful that the Jews could easily become a problem too big for him to handle. 
and one which could quickly bring it into his office. And for that reason, when the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate, demanding a trial and more particularly demanding the death penalty for certain unspecified charges, Pilate also did not let the truth determine the question that was brought before him. He let politics enter in. And politics and the truth are seldom compatible. Being the weak man that he was, he looked for every way possible to get out of the judgment of condemnation without endangering his own position. At first he told the Jews, you take him and judge him according to your law. But they would not let it go. They said it's not lawful for us to put a person to death. They made clear they would settle for nothing less than the death penalty. And then we find chronologically in Luke 23 verse 2 that at this time the Jews began to accuse Jesus saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. They accused Jesus by making him out to be a revolutionary, one who was trying to stir up a coup d'etat against Caesar. And so we find what we have in our text. Pilate was put before a great question. Caesar or Christ? That's the great antithesis, the controversy that is set before us in this text and which we also must face today. When Pilate asks Jesus, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. Throughout this trial, The kingship of Jesus is the focal point. There is no question that Jesus is a king. Earlier in the week, Jesus had spoken the parable of the nobleman in Luke 19. That parable had declared clearly that Jesus was of noble birth and had a right to the kingdom but was not yet exalted into it. And immediately following his teaching of that parable, he had fulfilled the prophecy of Zechariah by riding into Jerusalem as a king. Very peculiar was his entry, it is true. His royal entry was not an entry with the pomp and milit- of military power and earthly glory as you would expect of a king. He didn't come with a glorious crown upon his head. He wasn't clothed with robes of purple or scarlet. He didn't arrive in a golden chariot or riding a white horse. And yet even in its humble appearance, that triumphal entry identified Christ as the Messiah, the king sent by God to all those who believe. He came the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
And now when he stood before Pilate, Jesus made clear that he was a king, even as Pilate had stated. Remember, though, Caesar also was a king. Caesar was one anointed by God to rule. He obviously didn't reign by the grace of God, but nevertheless, he ruled by the authority of God, as Scripture clearly teaches us. Those who rule are placed there by God. And so you read in Romans 13, verse 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. God instituted government. So you recognize that God established kings and the powers that be. And because of sin, God also gave to earthly government the sword power. So that when Pontius Pilate stood in Caesar's place before Jesus with a sword in his hand, he stood in a position instituted by God. And in that place, Pilate was called to render judgment. That was his calling. We have here what amounts to an evaluation of kings. One king put over against another. Christ over against Caesar. And Pilate was in a position to make that evaluation. In the first place, he had the authority to make that judgment. His God-given authority by the virtue of the position which he held was to judge the Christ. Pontius Pilate bore that authority given him by God. Secondly, he had a specific calling in rendering that judgment. Always the calling of the one who sits in the place of judgment is to punish the evildoer and to protect and even praise the good. The Apostle Peter would later set forth that truth clearly in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 and following, but Pilate knew that. He knew what his calling was. It was written in his heart as one of the works of the law. That was Caesar's calling. And as representative of Caesar, that was also Pilate's calling as Jesus Christ stood before him. He must exalt the Christ and punish the wicked Jews for their false allegations in perjury. As Pilate evaluated this man who stood before him, it was his calling to extol him as king of kings. Pilate himself was anointed by God to serve as governor under Caesar. But Jesus was anointed as king over all. Even before the foundation of the world, and Pilate could not escape the truth of it. Oh, he tried. 
He came to Jesus with the testimony on his lips that Jesus was a king that was implied in the question of verse 33, Art thou the king of the Jews? But when Jesus asked him, Sayest thou this of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Then Pilate vehemently denied knowing the truth. Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? But the truth that Jesus was indeed king was written upon the conscience of Pilate. And when Jesus continued to give instruction concerning the nature of his kingship and his own kingdom, Pilate was left without excuse. But this king of kings who stood before Pontius Pilate was a king unlike any king that walked the face of this earth. Christ is king over all, who rules over all for God's sake and to God's glory. His calling is to establish the kingdom of righteousness where God shall be all in all. And his authority as king is not to rule with swords and weapons as a king of power, nor politically by subtlety and even deceit. His authority is to rule in truth, in the hearts of, all, of his people, and to bring them into willing subjection to the kingdom of God. He's the king of truth a king not of this world, and to accomplish God's eternal purpose, this king of kings had become a man. Jesus became a Jew, a citizen under Caesar and under Pilate, Caesar's representative. In the weakness of his human nature, Jesus was subject to this Roman governor. Caesar was in his God-given place of earthly authority, and never did Jesus deny it. He had the power to throw Pilate right on his backside with one look. Remember what took place in the garden when they came to arrest Jesus? With just one word from his mouth, every one of his enemies found themselves on the ground looking up. But Jesus was a king the world had never seen. As to his anointing, he was king over the great Caesar, the ruler of the Roman Empire, the ruler of the known world at that time. As to his power... Christ was able to destroy Caesar in a moment. But he stood before Pilate as the king of God, willingly humiliated. To this end he was born. Though Israel received him not, he was their king. Though the husbandmen were casting him out, he was the heir of the vineyard. Though his subjects were saying they would not have him to rule over them, 
yet he had been anointed to reign. Jesus is king. And his kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Christ's kingdom could not be established by power. Christ had the power. He had the power whereby he could have called 12 legions of angels to destroy all his enemies. But that was not his way into the kingdom. There was only one way for Jesus to enter and to establish his kingdom, and that was the way of obedience to his Father, the way of suffering. And that explains why the Lord of Lords had to stand under Caesar. Although Christ's kingdom be in the world, it's not of the world. Although the subjects of his kingdom are in the world, neither are they of the world. The benefits of his kingdom are not earthly, but spiritual. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, Romans 14, verse 17. The power of his kingdom is immense, For as we read in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5, the weapons of his kingdom are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. But then you understand The weapons of his kingdom are not carnal. They're not the weapons with which Caesar and his men would fight. And all this is set set forth by Jesus in his assertion, my kingdom is not of this world. The Jews had falsely accused Jesus of opposing the kingship of, of Caesar, being a revolutionary. Nothing was farther from the truth. Pilate himself knew that there was no substance to those charges. You read in Mark 15, verse 10, for he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. That knowledge will be held against Pilate to his everlasting condemnation. Pilate was well aware of those in the empire who were insurrectionists. The Roman intelligence agencies kept close tabs on such. Surely Jesus was not one of those who opposed the kingship of Caesar. But Jesus explained to Pilate the character of the kingdom over which he was to rule. Unlike all the kingdoms which have preceded Rome and including Rome, Christ's kingdom would not originate in any sense in men, but would be received directly from the hand of God. And so Daniel could prophesy 
In Daniel 7, verse 14, And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Unlike the kingdoms of men, which have been dependent upon the powers of the world and the, and the might of men, the kingdom of Christ shall be an absolute theocracy, the kingdom of God, regulated by heavenly principles. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. And through this all, Jesus was really putting the question to Pilate, What do you mean when you ask me whether I am king of the Jews? Do you mean it in the Roman sense of the word king? Or have you heard of the Jews that I am king in the prophetic sense? My kingdom is not of this world. Now Pilate was somewhat puzzled by this instruction. He looked at Jesus And he knew that Jesus was king of the Jews, whatever that was worth. But the quiet and authoritative bearing of the one standing before him and the references to a kingdom that was not of this world, the strong indication that he would receive that kingdom, though not by the sword, all these things puzzled Pilate and troubled him. So instead of asking Jesus again, Art thou the king of the Jews? He asked him the second time, Art thou not really a king? And in answer to this question, Jesus set forth the essence of his kingdom and therefore also the great conflict between his kingdom and Caesar's. Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. The conflict is spelled out also for you and for me as we stand before the Christ of God. Over against the kingdoms of this world, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of truth. Caesar's kingdom was of this world. Christ is not. And what that means is this. Caesar's kingdom can tell people outwardly what they must do. It has that authority and that power. But Caesar's kingdom cannot rule the hearts of men. It cannot tell you to love God, to love the truth, to love righteousness. It can cause grief, and it can give a semblance of peace and happiness outwardly, but it has no authority nor power 
to destroy a man's soul, nor to give true happiness and true peace that belongs alone to Christ and his kingdom. Furthermore, Caesar's kingdom was also of this world in the most evil sense of the word. Because scripture plainly teaches that the Roman Empire was a manifestation of the beast of Daniel chapter 7. Caesar's kingdom was derived directly from the man of sin, all under the providential government of God, but it was also part of that great image seen by Nebuchadnezzar, that image that would be destroyed by that stone cut out of the mountainside without human hands. So over against Caesar and his kingdom stood Christ. My kingdom is not of this world. For this purpose he was born, and for this purpose he came to die. It is this confession of Jesus to which the Holy Spirit refers in 1 Timothy 6, verse 13, where Paul writes, I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. With those words, Jesus boldly witnessed what would be the cost of bearing witness to the truth. Our Lord Jesus did not come to change the kingdoms of this world. His concern was not whether the earthly government established by God was in the form of a dictatorship or a democracy. When he was asked whether it was lawful to pay tribute to Caesar, who used that money for the most ungodly purposes, Jesus simply answered, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things which are God's. Christ's kingdom would not be the kingdom of revolution. It would not be a national kingdom. The kingdom of Christ is the kingdom of truth. And exactly because it is the kingdom of truth, it transcends all the boundaries of men and of nations. Therefore, the conflict is a conflict between the kingdom of the lie and the kingdom of truth. The Savior here links the two concepts of his kingdom and his bearing witness to the truth. He links those two inseparably. Truth is authoritative, majestic. Christ's kingdom is a kingdom of truth. That means that outside Christ's kingdom is the kingdom of the lie. If you are not a citizen of the kingdom of truth, then you are born of the lie, not a lie, the lie. 
Christ witnesses over against the kingdom of the lie where citizens stand with clenched fists, raised toward God, followers of the father of the lie, the devil. If you are not of the truth, you are not of Christ's kingdom. If you are not of the truth, then you are of the lie. Before Pontius Pilate, representative of the lie, stood Jesus Christ. The purpose for which he came was not to wield an earthly royal scepter, but to bear witness to the truth. This he had done in perfect obedience and faithfulness. Yes, he was doing it at this very moment. And he himself is the truth. How blessed, therefore, is his kingdom. For Jesus said to those who believed on him in John 8, verses 31 and 32, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There is no true freedom in the kingdom of the lie. But in the kingdom of truth, there is perfect freedom even forevermore. For Jesus continues, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice, Jesus said. To hear his voice means two things. In the first place, it means that you hear his word, his promises, his precepts. You hear him when he says to you through the preaching of the gospel, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's the king of truth. And you take and embrace that promise of Christ by faith and have rest. To hear his voice means also this. That you hear him when he tells you by the preaching of the gospel how to live in thankfulness to him. Would anyone be assured that he is of the truth? The Holy Scripture provides the answer in 1 John 3, verses 18 and 19, among many other passages, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Or this, 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Jesus says, everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. He rules over them in their inmost heart. 
And therein is the blessedness of his testimony on the day of his crucifixion as he prepares to be led to the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself entered this great conflict. He stood before Pilate, fighting to enter his kingdom. Oh, it didn't look like it. His servants didn't fight. Peter cut off a man's ear, but that was a mistake, and Jesus immediately healed that wound so that there was not a single scar left. His kingdom was not of this world, and is not. The conflict, you see, is not the king of Rome versus the king of the Jews. The conflict was the kingdom of the beast and the kingdom of truth. And so Jesus gave a good testimony. In essence, he said, you must kill me, Pilate, because I'm the king of truth. And Pilate did, because he was the king of the beast. Pilate took the sword, and he said before the face of God, I know this man is innocent but I'm going to send him to his death. He did that not because Jesus was some revolutionary, a criminal, but because he came to make a good confession. The king of truth humbled himself and entered death. God used the beast to bring Jesus where he had to go to, for you and for me. But more, beloved, God glorified him. As we know from the scriptures and shall see on resurrection morning, and the glorified Christ continues to speak. Did you hear him even today? If you are of the truth, you hear him now and forevermore. And when you hear him, you will embrace by faith the promises that are fulfilled in him because he speaks powerfully. And you shall have rest for your soul. Blessed are all you who put your trust in him. Amen. Heavenly Father, we stand in awe before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we contemplate his steps to the cross and then his crucifixion, his being forsaken by thee, experiencing the, the agonies of hell for our sakes and in our place, we humble ourselves before thee, conscious of our sins and our sinfulness for which Jesus died. And we pray, Heavenly Father, Grant that we may live in the joy of the gospel of our salvation 
hearing the word of truth and following our good shepherd. To thy name's honor and glory, amen.